Thank you, Pastor. Love you. What a privilege to be back at City Church. It's one of my favorite places that I get to travel to is right here. How many of you have never heard me speak before? Raise your hand. All right. Y'all are going to have fun today. <laughs> Fair warning, I'm a preacher, not a teacher. So just be ready for that. I love what I get to do. Hey, one of the reasons I came to uh, up here this week was to be with the I Must Conference for the teenagers. We called it I Must uh, Extraordinary. And the slide, one of the main slides that we used in uh, trying to communicate to the kids will get up on the screen here in a second. And I just want to give you a report what went on uh, this weekend. Uh, we started out on Friday night explaining to the students that everybody's ordinary. I don't think that's a put down. I mean, there's lots of labels that we could go by today. And ordinary is, uh, is really one of the least of the labels that teenagers experience. And how many of you remember when you were a teenager or even in your adult life, there's a label put on you? And uh, one of the things that we talked about was in Acts chapter 4 and verse 13. In the old King James Version, after Peter and John had uh, been transformed by the Holy Spirit in Acts 2, and they walked by the gate beautiful, and they said, Silver and gold have I none, such as I have, give I thee in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Well, these guys went to prison for doing that. They got put in jail. And they didn't get put in jail by the Romans. They got put in jail by Pharisees. And they had to go before a court and all this stuff. And they labeled them. They said, we say that we, we understand, we perceive that these are unlearned and ignorant men. I don't know what prompted me to do it, but I looked up the word ignorant in Strong's Concordance right there, and I was so shocked. The Greek word, now I don't read, write, or speak Greek. I read big, thick books like you do. Well, they're, now they're on my computer, but, uh, which makes it a lot easier. But the Greek word for, idi for uh, ignorant was idiotes, I-D-I-O-T-E-S. Guess what English word we get from that word? <laughs> Unschooled idiots. They were labeled. And I started out Friday night, and I said, you, and, and all these labels that we've come through, but all that just says we're ordinary and God wants to use unschooled, ignorant, stupid, labeled people to do extraordinary things. <laughs> Amen? So we went on from there and we talked about Philip. And uh, I'm not going to go through everything that we taught, but I, I just thought last night was so powerful. Uh, we got to the place where we went from Acts 4 to Acts 8, and we started if you read, go home and read Acts 8 today, it's, it's kind of an amazing story. Philip, everybody say Philip. Philip was this guy that in Acts chapter 6, uh, he was tasked with the job of serving tables, waiting on women, a food program, if you will. See, if you, if you remember the story, the apostles were having to deal with Jews and Greeks, and one group was mad at the other group because their women, their older women weren't getting taken care of. Their widows were not taken care of. And so they got everybody together. It actually says that. They pulled everybody together, and they said, here's what we're going to do. We, the apostles, we're going to pray and study the Word so that we can help you, and we're going to pick seven guys to wait tables. And it says, go look it up. You'll be shocked. Everybody agreed. 100%. There was one qualification, or there were several, but the first one in 
Acts 6.3 says this, they have to be full of the Holy Spirit. So here's what happens next. Stephen gets martyred. And then Acts chapter, the first few verses come along, and it says Saul, who hadn't changed his name to Paul yet, he hadn't had his encounter with God yet, Saul was wreaking havoc on the church, going house to house and taking them to prison. So Philip, this guy who's in the ministry, full of the Holy Spirit, waiting on tables, gets to see his best friend stoned to death, Stephen. You know, who's, you know, you know what the people that stoned him to death, they had a Bible in one hand and a rock in the other. Go check me out. I'm telling the truth. It was the religious crowd that killed him. And then everybody is scattered out of Jerusalem. Philip finds himself in Samaria. And he goes, Acts 8, 5, he goes and preaches Christ. And all of a sudden, we already know he's full of the Spirit because he had to be full of the Spirit to be a deacon. He goes and he preaches Christ, and demons are cast out. Miracles of healing happen, and he's got a revival on his hands. Here's a waiter of tables got a revival on his hands. An ordinary dude who one day was waiting tables, now he's pastoring a revival. So I asked the students, can we quantify, can we name, can we specify what God's extra is on our ordinary? Absolutely. It's the person of the Holy Spirit. Not only is the Holy Spirit in you, He wants to be on you, to equip you, to qualify you, to anoint you, to use you, to affect your generation. So we had a powerful time of prayer last night, and I just want to give that report. And the other thing that I want to do just before I begin to uh, share the word the Lord's put on my heart today is who knows what the month of October is besides Halloween. Pastor Appreciation. Pastor Tom, would you stand up and let us appreciate you? Thank you. Hey, one of the things about being here this Sunday, and one of the things I respect about your pastor and I honor in him this month is pastor appreciation, but I know I was here at a prayer meeting on Tuesday night before I spoke on Wednesday night at the youth service, and I know he's about to leave for two weeks to go to Malaysia, and he's got somebody else preaching in his pulpit when he's about to be gone for two weeks. That's a little weird. As a pastor... I'm just saying, thank you. I do not take lightly the privilege that you've given me here today to do this. And some loving, kind notes in the next two weeks. How about a big stack of, of pastor appreciation notes on his desk when he gets home from Malaysia? Come on, somebody. Let's do that. Well, stand up with me in honor of God's Word. Let's read God's Word together. Matthew chapter 27, starting in verse 57, if you have a real Bible with you, turn there, read your translation. If you don't, look at it up on the screen, do whatever you want to do, whatever device you've got with you. It says this, now when evening had come, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. 
Then Pilate commanded the body be given to him, and when Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his new tomb, which he had hewn out of the rock. And he rolled a large stone against the door of the tomb and departed. And Mary Magdalene was there, and the other Mary sitting opposite the tomb. God, I thank you for your word today that it's alive, it's quick, it's more powerful than any two-edged sword. Lord, it will accomplish the work you sent it to do. Your word comes and it does not return void. I thank you today for your anointing on your servant, Father. Help me, anoint me to speak with authority and clarity that is not my own. Lord, help me communicate on a subject that will position the body of Christ in Madison and and in the greater Madison area to be successful and to successfully elevate the body of Christ. That's what you sent me to communicate today. And Lord, I confess John 15, 5 over my life. You're the vine and I'm the branch. Lord, I say it. Without you, I can do nothing. I am a needy man up here on this stage today. And God, I thank you that I'll give you all the glory, all the praise, all the honor for what you will do at the end of this service. In Jesus' name. If you believe that, say amen. Amen. Be seated, please. My assignment today is to talk to you about begging for the body of Christ. You say, what do you mean begging for the body of Christ? I, I, this is an allegory. Joseph of Arimathea has taken his position of influence and affluence. It says he was a rich man. He says that he, he was a man of, not, obviously if he could go talk to Pilate, he was also a man of influence. Somebody say amen. If he had that kind of open door, he had influence and affluence. And he chose to leverage his position of influence and his personal affluence to take the physical body of Jesus Christ and position it and make it ready for resurrection. Made it ready for elevation, if you will. He took a dead body and asked Pilate, give me that body. I'm going to take it from death and elevate it to a place where it's ready for resurrection. Everything I'm going to say to you today out of this text, I'm not preaching from anywhere but from these verses, is allegorical. For all you theologians out there, an allegory, by definition, is a story in which characters and actions are symbol, become symbols or ideas. The symbols and the ideas that these allegorical actions of Joseph of Arimathea, are go- you're going to see the application. They are totally, completely biblical. They are totally, completely applicable to the circumstances that you're living in right here in 2019 in Madison, Wisconsin. Get ready. Take notes. Listen with an ear tuned toward the Spirit. So Joseph was, not only was he rich, he was a a disciple of Jesus, it says very clearly. History records that he was also a member of the Sanhedrin. History also records probably that he was a man that was powerful and motivated. He was probably a man of renown in politics and influence. But he chose rather than to leverage. Do we understand? Everybody say leverage. I don't know that I'm not real mechanical or I don't do a lot of uh, of things where you have to leverage something. I I, I can remember one time I had a flat tire on my car and the wrench that I attached to it was not, I couldn't just turn it with that wrench. So I had to get something and stick it on the end of that wrench and get out here on the other end and leverage my weight and go, 
Some of you have leveraged something. You've stuck something under something heavy. And because you couldn't reach under there and grab it and lift it yourself, you stuck something like a tool or a bar or a piece of steel, and you stuck up under it, and it made it easier to lift because you used something to leverage that weight. Nod your head at me if I'm making sense. Joseph chose to use what he had, his influence, his affluence, to leverage and influence a Roman leader to take the body of Christ. And here's what he chose to do. He, there's four things that he did. Before I do that, I want to talk to you about a couple of men in your church that have done this. That I, I, I don't live here. I've been here many times, and I just know, I know these men, and I know their heart. I'm not, I, they would probably be, they're probably embarrassed that I'm going to use their names. But I, I want to use an illustration of something that you know. Ted Geary. Right now, I don't even think he's back from Africa. He's been over in Africa because he has the personal ability financially to on his own nickel, on his own time, on his own energy to go over there and help young women that in turn will help young families and that it one at a time, one at a time, one at a time, one at a time. Do for one what you want done for multitudes. And that's what Ted's doing. And he's leveraging his position and his influence to be out of the country and represent Yes, he belongs to City Church, but who is he representing in Africa? Jesus and the kingdom to those people. Another one, a little closer to home, every time. This is the first time in two or three times that I haven't been here at the time where Dave Bechtel does his little neighborhood men's thing. Every time I've gone to that thing, there have been more men from his neighborhood than men from the church. Dave has leveraged his creativity to turn his garage into a coffee shop and to turn his driveway out there with a fire pit and these motorcycles and these weird-looking cars and these guys sitting out there just chit-chatting. And they may or may not be talking about Jesus, but I guarantee you they know Dave is a Christ follower. That's what I call leveraging your position to influence. Amen? First thing Joseph did, number one, I believe it was his compassion for what happened to Jesus, his compassion for the body of Christ, that he literally went to Pilate and begged, will you give me that dead body? Ladies and gentlemen, we are not in a postmodern culture anymore. We're in a post-Christian culture. Being a Christian is almost a swear word in this culture. If you and besides that, and, and I'm, I'm forgive me, I'm gonna get on my soapbox for a minute. I don't call myself a Christian anymore, Pastor Tom. I just don't do it. Do you know why? Because a Christian is a label. It's a label we, because we come to church. It's a, labor that, it's a label that people use to get more votes. It's a label people use to get more money, to get more business. It's a label that, that people use to just identify themselves. Oh, I'm with that group. You know what? That's not what I am. I'm not a Christian. Yes, I gave my life to Jesus on March the 4th, 1976, and decided that I'm going to go from living this way to living this way, and I prayed, I repented, but I'm not a Christian. I am a Christ follower. That's what I am. 
I was sitting on an airplane coming back from Columbia. I'd, I'd done a pastor's conference down there back in, uh, this was not in 2019, this was in 2018. And I'll never forget it because I, I sat down in my seat, I was on the window seat, and a lady came and sat down to me and she was in an American Airlines flight attendant uniform. And I sat there and I, I, I started talking to her and conversing with her. I said, uh, are you working? She said, no, I, I am Colombian. I've been here to Medellin to visit my family because that's, this is where they live. But I married an American and I have American citizenship and Colombian citizenship. And I'm going back to America to go. I'm dressed to go to work. I got to go to work. And we, we just casual conversation. She looked at my wristband and she said, I must. What does that mean? And so I pronounced to tell her, Luke 2, 49, I must be about my father's business, Jesus at 12, blah, 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 blah. And she goes right up front in this conversation. She says, oh, that means you're a Christian. I said, nope, I am not a Christian. I said, I'm a Christ follower. She said, what does that mean? And I said, the difference is just what I told you. Christ, being a Christian is a label. Being a Christ follower means I follow the teachings of Jesus. I don't just talk about it, I live it. Now, you say, what does that have to do with Joseph having compassion and saying, Pilate, give me the body of Christ. Give me the physical body of Christ. Well, here's how that applies to you. You and I, as believers, as Christ followers in this culture, people don't look at this church, people don't look at you as a Christ follower and say, oh, those are some nice people. They say, we're all haters. They've labeled us all as bigots and haters. And that's not who we are. How do we change that? We have compassion, and we decide we're going to take our influence, we're going to take our affluence, and we're going to elevate the body of Christ, the dead body of Christ. So many people, they think about church as in, in a way that is so negative. They think it's just about dead, dry, boring, dead religion. The ushers stand at the back door and they look like pallbearers. The dead in Christ are in the pews. We get spoon-fed from the pulpit. We get patted on the back when we patted on the back and burped as we go out the door. See you next week. That's not what church is about. That's not who we are. The Bible talks about who we are. Paul, in writing to the Corinthians, said, I beseech you, brethren, you know the house of Stephanus, that it is the first fruits of Acacia, and that they are addicted. They have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. They have addicted themselves to elevating the body of Christ in the world. I love the way the New Living Translation says it. It won't be on the screen. Just listen. You know that Stephanus and his household were the first of the harvest of believers in Greece. And they are spending their lives in service to God's people. They are spending their lives. They're addicted. That is the only place in the entire Bible. 1 Corinthians 6.15. It should be on the very next slide. That is the only place that the word addicted appears in the entire Bible. And it means exactly what you think it is. They can't do anything else. They've got to have it, got to have it, got to have it. When's the last time you had that attitude about ministry? No, i got to have the Badgers not losing by one point. I'm addicted to that. 
addicted to Aaron Rodgers. I'm just joking with you. I'm just trying to understand what are you addicted to? Are you addicted to making sure that in this post-Christian culture that people look at the church, they look at Jesus? And by the way, did you know it's not about city church? It's about Jesus. It's about putting Jesus. It's the, uh, the whole story is, is about putting the body of Christ, whether it's in Turkey, whether it's in Russia, whether it's in Madison, whether it's in Texas. I was in Cuba this year. I cannot believe the persecution that they're under. I cannot believe the way the government treats the church. But I have news for you. The church is growing at an alarming rate. The politicians are freaking out. Because the church is absolutely exploding. They will not let them have buildings like this. They can't buy property. They can't build buildings. They can't do anything. Well, Pastor Ed, how's the church growing? How are they addicted to the saints? How are they leveraging their positions? They're having church in houses. The man that hosted me there two years ago, when he took over his position with the Cuban Assemblies of God, they had 80, 80 missionaries. And they, they, this is their definition of a missionary. A missionary is someone who goes out and walks the streets and shares their faith. Goes door to door in the nation of Cuba. Not going to Ecuador, not going to South America, not going to Russia. They go door to door in their own country sharing their faith door to door. They had 80 of them. Now they have 392. They had only, get this Pastor Greg, they only had... 19 startup churches from those missionaries. Now they've got 182. There is revival in their country, but the government has got their hand on them. But here's the thing. They're addicted. They're addicted. I was making jokes about the Badgers and the Packers, but can we be honest? Some of us are more addicted to Starbucks than we are Jesus. Oh, I meant four bucks, not Starbucks. Forgive my sarcasm. My wife always tells me that's a horrible method of communication, so I'll stop. Here's one of the things I love about City Church. You want more. You want more. I felt it Tuesday night. i got to be honest with you. I, I walked into Tuesday night prayer, and I had flown in on Tuesday, and I was kind of tired and exhausted. I'd been dealing with stuff at my, my church and, and getting ready to come, and, and I, I was a little tired, and I went into the prayer, sat on the back, and just, just worshiped and got in there, and, and I started getting into the prayer, and and. and I had something, I had prayed. I, I'm not just one of these guys that just preaches, you know, whatever. Just, I need another place to preach. So I'll just preach whatever. I'd prayed, and I had, a, I, felt, I had what I felt like I was supposed to do, and I knew what it was. I knew the title. I knew the, I had the material. I packed it with, my, with me, and I'm sitting there, and the Holy Spirit said, you're not preaching that. And I'm like, come on. you know what produced that in me, Pastor Tom? Addiction. Of this church, you want more. You're about elevating the body of Christ in the city, in the region, in the country. 
He said, you got to preach this. Number two, here's the second thing. I know you're all smiling and giving me amens on number one. You probably won't on number two. When Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in clean linen cloth. You know what the body of Christ was wrapped in? Probably something. The Romans did it. They didn't care about Jesus. It was probably something dirty, nasty. It was probably dried blood on it everywhere from where he'd been pierced and bleeding. And, and Joseph of Arimathea meticulously unwrapped that body and rewrapped it in white linen. What's the point? Holiness. The body of Christ needs holiness. The body of Christ needs purity. The body of Christ needs to be like Jesus. Needs to be pure. Needs to be holy. Without spot. Without wrinkle. I'm not talking about a dress code. I'm not talking about legalism of the length of your hair. I'm not talking about whether you wear shorts to church or don't wear shorts to church. I'm not talking about the style of your music. I'm talking about whether you're having sex outside marriage. I'm talking about whether you're sitting in here today and you've been living together and coming to church and you're wondering why God's not blessing you because God can't bless sin. Get married. Get back under the umbrella of God's will. Get married. Do what God's word says. Well, it's just a piece of paper. No, it's not just a piece. It's a piece of paper to the state, to God. It's like two become one, and he becomes the other part of your covenant. Make it right. Get rid of your addictions. Get rid of the things you're comfortable with. Get rid of the stuff that you're petting and holding on to and you keep hitting. Get the stuff that's in the dark. Get it out in the light. No more. I, Charles, I'm not getting any more amens. <laughs> I'm not mad. I'm not angry. I just want to be biblical. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall Pursue holiness, for without it you will not see God. Matthew 5 and Hebrews 12 say the same thing. You know, we're into talent. God's into character. God's more interested in your character than he is your comfort. That's why some of you are squirming in your seat right now. Because you know it's not me talking to you. It's the finger of the Holy Spirit going, clean up your act. Why are you putting that in your body? Why are you talking like that? Why is all that negativity, why is all that hate and all that anger coming out of your mouth? Why don't you just go ahead and and forgive them? They hurt me. And I'm not, God's never asked you to disavow that they did wrong and they hurt you. He's just said, if you don't forgive them, I'm not going to forgive you. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. <laughs> By the way, that's in the Bible, not the pipe part. <laughs> I got to qualify that. 
the part that's in the Bible is that if you don't forgive them, he's not going to forgive you. Well, where's that at? Well, it's right after the Lord's Prayer. It's right after he said where he prayed, Father, forgive them and forgive me. And then it's like he stops. Pastor Tommy goes, oh, by the way, that forgiveness thing, it's really important. Because he talks about it the next two verses after the Lord's Prayer. That forgiveness deal is big. And did you know that that's a big part of holiness? Did you know when you don't forgive, the Bible teaches us that we open. I'm talking, I, I didn't talk this much about this in the first service. I'm talking to somebody. There's somebody in here. You're bitter. You're mad. You're ticked off. Get over it. Because when you stay mad, when you stay bitter, when you stay angry at that ex, when you get mad at that job, when you, get, when you get all undone and you spend all that energy and all that effort, not only is it hurting you, you've flung the door wide open to demons. Demonic activity, just, you just flung the door and said, come on in. Welcome to the party. But you know what Joseph did? He said, nope, I'm going to take the body of Christ. I'm going to leverage my position. I'm going to leverage my affluence. I'm going to have, I'm going to beg for it. I'm going to use every ounce of influence I've got to get in the door with Pilate, and I'm going to beg. I'm going to have compassion. And then I'm going to wrap it in fresh linen and I'm going to elevate the body of Christ from a position of death. Do you know why some people won't follow Jesus? I, asked, I actually asked a guy this one time. I was on the streets of Hollywood, and I asked a guy, what is stopping you from being a, a Christian and following Jesus? He said, I've seen too many Christians. <laughs> I went, whoa. He's seen too many Christians wear the label, but not live right, be right, do right, think right. Am I making sense? There's some of you that miraculous, it's miraculous that you're sitting here. It's miraculous that you're in church because you didn't like the church. But there's something about this church that is open-armed and you understand that it's genuine, it's real. But there's still some skeptics out there. You're in the balcony, you're down here, you're back there. You're skeptics. Joseph said, I want to purify, have the body of Christ be in holiness. Samson was the strongest man in the Bible. David was the most spiritual man in the Bible. Solomon was the smartest man in the Bible, the wisest man. Sex got all three of them. Everybody look at your neighbor and go, hmm. <laughs> I don't know. That pulls me up short. Because I'm not Solomon. I'm not David. And I'm definitely not Samson. If it got them, it could get me. Purify. The body of Christ. Here's the third thing. In verse 60, it says, He laid his, he, and laid it, the body, 
that he had wrapped in a clean linen cloth. He laid it in his, everybody say his, his. new tomb. He went out and bought a new tomb, a new grave, a new burial plot, which he had hewn. We don't use that word. We'll use the, which he had dug out of the rock. I don't know. When's the last time you went digging in some rock? That sounds like a little bit of work to me. So number one, he spent his money. Number two, he dug it, he dug it, he dug it, he dug it. He's sweating, he's tired. He dug it, he dug it, he dug it, and he's digging some more, and a pickaxe, and a hammer, and he dug it, and he dug it, and he's tired, and he's sweaty, and he stinks. At great personal sacrifice... At great personal sacrifice, he took the body of Christ that he had begged for in compassion, that he had wrapped in new white linens, and he put it in a better place that was his own making. Man, I love, Pastor Tom, I love to hear that story. About three and a half million dollars. Wow, great, man, I applaud you. He didn't do that, you did that. Great personal sacrifice. Throw a rock at it. But you know what? It's not over. That has to do with in-house. What kind of what great personal sacrifice are you giving to minister to your coworkers, to your neighbors, to your friends, to your unsaved loved ones that if they don't come to Christ, they're going to hell. I don't know why I'm saying this right now, but this is for somebody. Somebody sitting in this room has said this. I'm going to go party with my friends in hell. You've heard your family members say that. Listen, there won't be a party in hell. This is in Luke 16. You can go look it all up. In hell, there will be nothing but total isolation. It will be so dark you can't see your hand in front of your face. It's going to be hot. And guess what? There are no exits. Those are all facts about hell found in Luke 16. You will not go party with your friends in hell. But if you don't do something about it, you've got friends, you've got co-workers, you've got loved ones that are headed there. What kind of sacrifice are you going to make? Well, they're not going to like me if I tell them I love Jesus. They're not going to like me if I bring my Bible, if I just bring, listen, don't, don't go preach. Don't go, thus saith the Lord. They'll throw you out. Just get your Bible. Take your Bible to school. Students, university students, take your Bible to UW. Put it in your backpack. Take it to your high school. Take, put it, you, all you adults, you, most of you, you carry a briefcase. Nowadays, it's back. Put your Bible in your backpack. When you get to your office, just take it out with all your other stuff and just set it there. And go about your business. Do you want to know how many conversations are going to start because that Bible's sitting on your desk? Do you know how many doors are going to swing wide open for you? But it may come at great personal sacrifice because some people won't like you. They're going to label you, but you're going to love them anyway. Amen? As I went from city to city, school to school, town to town, speaking in schools about abstinence and being sex ed, I had my tires slashed, I had my windshield broken three times, I've had death threats. 
It wasn't cool. I didn't like it. It cost me money. But just because I couldn't stand in a public school and hold up my Bible and say, this is the will of God that you abstain from sexual immorality. That's 1 Thessalonians 4.3 for those of you that don't know. I couldn't do that. When I'm t- teaching on sexual purity in a public school, I couldn't hold my Bible. I couldn't say God said. I couldn't say God wants to protect you physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and financially. All I could say is be the smartest decision you could ever make. I made it to stay a virgin. But guess what? It came at great personal sacrifice to elevate Jesus. Young, pe- young people, mom and dad, grandma, grandpa, businessman, divorcee, pr- ex-con, you're sitting here listening to me. You're listening, but you're, you've got to understand, to do what God wants you to do, it's going to cost you something. You've got to count the cost. It is. To do the vision of City Church, it's more than throw a rock at it. It's more than put a few hundred dollars in the box back there and get us out of debt. It's going to be great personal sacrifice. You've got to dig. You've got to dig. You've got to dig. Pastor Tom said it. We're just, we're just now at the beginning of the breakthrough of what God wants to do. And we, you've been digging. You're tired. Oh, man, I've been trying. I've been trying. i got this guy at work that won't listen. i got this late neighbor that won't listen. I've been trying. Be faithful, 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 faithful. Oh, Pastor Ed, I'm so tired of being faithful. Well, so am I. I'm so tired of being faithful, I wrote a song about it. (laughs) Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on! (laughs) How many of you know I don't need to quit my day job? (laughs) So I'm going to go back to preaching, that's my day job. That's what you do. When there's great personal sacrifice and you're tired of sacrificing, you're tired of giving, you're tired of pressing, you're tired of of trying to make a difference, you hold on. Come on, everybody get your hands out in front of you. Look at your hands. Everybody look at your hands. Stand up if you've got holes in your hands. Hey, guess what? We're nobody's savior. I got, I got a revelation for you here. I didn't say this in the first service. I don't know who this is for. But in what God has called you to do, it'll get a lot easier. It'll get a lot better if you'll make it easy on yourself and hard on God. Make it easy on yourself and hard on God. Say, God, I'll do my part. Will you do yours? Quit trying to be God. He's moving the body of Christ from death to ready for resurrection. That's what we're doing in Madison, in greater Madison. We're elevating. Here's the fourth thing. Matthew 27, 61. He puts a stone over the tomb. He puts the body in there. It's now ready for resurrection. And here's the fourth thing that happened. Joseph didn't do it. It just happened. It's just part of the story. And Mary Magdalene was there and the other Mary sitting opposite the tomb. Mary Magdalene was the former prostitute. 
Go to the next slide, number four. There you go. She was the prostitute. Mary, the other Mary was Mary the elite. You say, Pastor Ed, what does this represent? Unity. Different cultures, different kinds, different people, both sitting at the tomb of Jesus, worshiping Jesus. What it means is, here's, here's what it means. If we're going to elevate the body of Christ to the position, we've got to not care who's sitting next to us. We were just at an I must extraordinary. We had three different churches from three different camps, if you want to call it that. That's the only way I know to say it. Three different spiritual camps in our Christian culture. And we worship Jesus, and oh my goodness, the presence of God fell. But you know what? Some of you, oh man, I'm probably really not going to get any amens on this, but I really don't care. I didn't, didn't come here to be your best friend today. I came here to deliver the word of the Lord. There's some of you sitting here that have got a problem. You've got a problem with who sits next to you sometimes. There's some of you that you get that Holy Spirit nudge. goes, mm, go over there and talk to that person. And on your spiritual, mental radar screen, you go, eh, not going to do it. Because of the way they look, because of the way they smell, because of where they come from. But the Holy Spirit gives you that, mm, go tell them your story. And their skin's the wrong color. We don't talk about it, but I'm talking about it today. Discrimination's real. Hate is real. When are we going to forget the stupid political preference and it's not about what party red blue green yellow black white it's not about the color of the skin it's about the kingdom when are we going to wake up it's not about preference it's about conviction and my conviction is for god so loved the world that he gave his life that whosoever smelly, stinky, addicted. When? See, in my allegory here, my clock is telling me to shut up. So I told it to shut up. (laughs) When are we going to take this seriously? There's some of you sitting here listening to me. Some of you up in the balcony. Some of you down here on the floor. There's certain groups of people you're just not sure about. Listen, God doesn't care where you've been, what you've been doing, or who you've been doing it with. He only cares about one thing, where you're going. And it doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter your your bank account. It doesn't matter your ethnicity. It doesn't matter about your education. It doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. But for some reason, we've got these unwritten rules of who we will and who we will not talk to. That's why for 27 years, I've taken teenagers to Hollywood to minister 
on the streets, in Skid Row, on, at Venice Beach, in the wealthy area of Third Street Promenade in Santa Monica, I, I, up and down the boulevard where there's every race of people on Hollywood Boulevard, every kind of person that you could ever meet. And I take these teenagers and we train them how to minister to anybody and everybody. And we tell them, if you can talk to these people, you can go home and talk to that kid at your lunch table. I'll never forget. She's four foot ten. She's the head cheerleader at her high school. She was in my youth group. She was, I mean, she was little bitty. Imagine four foot ten. She was standing there, Pastor Tom, and she was talking to this woman who had on a pink wig, a pink tube top, a pink mini skirt, and pink go-go boots. And she was looking with the go-go boots. She was having to look up, and she was preaching Jesus to this girl. And, uh, I mean, just going after it. Her partner was with her right here. And, and he was just listening, and she was preaching and preaching. And, and, and I got kind of close because I was kind of nervous, you know. And I, I just wanted to make sure nothing bad was going to happen. So I got within about eight feet, and was just standing there listening. And when the, the woman in the pink hair, the pink miniskirt, when the woman talked, she said, the woman said this. I don't believe in God. It was a man. It was a man dressed up as a woman. My little head cheerleader girl, she didn't care. She didn't go, she didn't freak out and go, oh, it's a man. (laughs) She just pressed right on through. She didn't lead him to Jesus. But you know what she did do? She took him by the hand and looked up in his eyes and prayed for him. He will never forget her. He will never, never, never forget her. Close your Bibles. Put your pens away if you're taking notes. Unity. I'd like to ask you, invite you to stand up to your feet with me. We've got to do business. We've got to decide right now. Some of you don't have a compassionate bone in your body. It's about you and nobody else. Some of you need to deal with the white linen. You need to you've got holiness issues. Some of you standing here with me today, you need to decide you're willing to go ahead and sacrifice. Yeah, Lord, I'll do that. And then there's still others that you really do have the discrimination issue. Now, here's the thing. I don't want to put anybody on blast. I don't want to put anybody, I don't want to put your business in the street. You know why I don't want to do that? Jesus did it all the time. He went went around calling people fakes and snakes. and I mean, he called them out. I'm not going to do that today. There's no holes in my hands. It's not my job. So here's what I'm going to ask you. I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes and don't look around.
And I'm going to ask you one question. How many of you, after listening to the word of the Lord today, have felt that nudge in your spirit that, yes, I want to be the person that leverages my influence and affluence and my position? Some of you got thrown off when I call it, when, when the Bible called Joseph rich. Listen, you're richer than 96% of the world. Every single person in this room is richer from the poorest. The poorest person in this room is richer than 96% of the people in the world. We're all rich. So don't be thrown off by that. But you're here and you've heard this message and you say, Pastor, I have heard the voice of the Holy Spirit. I want to be a part. I want to be a part of not just city church, but I want to be a part of elevating the body of Christ outside this room. And I know that's my call. That's, I know I'm, that's my responsibility as a Christ follower. I'm supposed to do that. How many of you would be honest enough to say, yes, Pastor Ed, I've heard that. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, raise your hand. Get your hand up. There's hands going up all over this room, balcony, down the front, everywhere. Now put your hands down and look at me. I'm not shocked by that response because that response is flat out easy. It's normal. But there's some things that are hindering you. Your compassion level, your holiness, you're not willing to give personal sacrifice, and you still have problems with other people. You have a a unity issue, a discrimination issue. Here's what I'm going to do. I don't know how many of you are going to be honest with God. I don't know how many of you are going to do business with what's on the inside of your heart. You know it, and He knows it. Proverbs 15.3 says, The eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the whole earth, seeing both the good and the evil. He knows your heart. I don't. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you, if you've got a compassion issue, you know who you are. If you have a holiness issue, you know who you are, and you know what it's dealing with. And God's talking to you about it, I guarantee you. If you've got a personal sacrifice issue, you know what that is. You know what you're, that you're not willing to give up your time, your energy, your talent. If you've got a unity issue, you've got issues with the body of Christ, or you're bitter at somebody, or angry at this group, or it's this color, or this red. If you've got an issue, you know what that is. It's time to bring it to the altar. It's time to deal. It's time to do business. Or I'm going to tell you what, this, this, this is preparation for 132 hours of prayer is what this is. This is prep for the next step. You get your debt paid off. You get all this stuff going on. This is prep right here. I'm not going to manipulate. I'm going to count to three. And you're going to come if you want to come. If you don't want to come, you're not going to come. One, two, three. Come from the balcony. It's going to take you about 20 seconds. You've got time. Just get down here and make a place. Just be honest between you and God. Only you know why you're coming. You know what you're going to deal with. Only you know that. I don't. Just come. If you want to kneel, you can kneel. If you want to stand, you can stand. I looked in before I even got to my altar call in the first service. There was a guy over here prostrate in the floor. I went, whoa, 
I was getting ready to do my altar call, and he was already there. Come on, there's people coming from the balcony. Just come on. When you get here, you just do business. Those of you that came because of your compassion, it said over and over in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he was moved with compassion. God moved people with compassion. Lord, those that are dealing with holiness issues, God, let them leave what they're struggling with at the altar. Lord, you forgive sin. Lord, you, not only do you forgive sin, you forgive and forget. You forgive and you forget. Lord, let them leave, leave that impurity. Whatever it is, whether it's a porn addiction, Lord, whether it's sexual impurity, an act, Lord, whether it's lying, whether it's bad business practices, let them leave it right here. Leave it right here. He cut the rock out. You're tired, you're tired, you're tired of working so hard. You're tired of personal sacrifice. Where's my reward? Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. You're not going to quit. Keep sacrificing. Stay with it. Say, I will continue. God, pour out a love on this group of people. That person that's standing here that has this dislike, even in anger toward a people group, God, release healing, release forgiveness. Release it in their family. Release it in Jesus and let it go. Let that hate go. Let that anger go. Let that hurt go. Leave it. Leave it. Leave it. You'll be better. You never trade for less with God. Whatever you give to God, He's going to give you something better, man. Whatever you leave here, you're going to leave. You leave at this altar, you're going to leave this building with something better. Man, there's a holiness in this place. There's something that there's there's a there's a power of the Holy Spirit that is settled on this room right now. I don't know if you can feel it like I can feel it, but man, I it's a it's a it's a presence that will transform your life if you'll let it. It'll even do it if you're out there in your seat and you didn't willfully come down. It's it's powerful. It's palpable. We're going to overcome. We're going to overcome. We're going to overcome. 